0: now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Great to have you with us here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And you can go to sunburymotors.com, check out the great inventory they have of Ford, Lincoln, Hyundai, Kia, the great pre-owned inventory as well, all at sunburymotors.com. You can buy from the comfort of your own home, check out what you want, and then get everything in motion. Great to have you with us today. Uh, We're going to hear a little bit later in the show from Dick Girardi in the next hour of the show. We want to take a look back at a book that was written a couple of years ago. And the book is entitled Layer of the Line. Some of you may have it sitting in your living room right now, written by Lee Stout and Harry West. It's a history of Beaver Stadium, and it's just a fabulous, fabulous read. And if you want to just go through and thumb through the pictures, so we'll just do it the suits way, the pictures will be intriguing to you as well. Some great, great work, and I had a chance to talk to the two authors about how this came about.
2: Well, it all started with uh, a course that I taught on the history of structures.
0: Okay.
2: And we started with Stonehenge and went to modern structures, but tucked in there was a lecture on the Beaver Stadium because it's interesting, it's big, and it has a lot of challenging structural problems. And this sort of morphed in then to something student groups wanted and town groups wanted. My son said at one point, Dad, you ought to write a book. And I said, no, I don't think anybody's interested in this structure. But then Lee and I got talking at the gym one day, and thought about how we could bring the structural part into the history of of uh, sports venues and Penn State planning and so forth and that was the beginning of it.
0: Well, I believe the place is seven different structures, isn't
2: it? Oh, it's it's glued together in many yeah. ways. I
0: mean, it's I think it's seven different structures. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, that's a book unto itself, Harry. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, my son said, you know, you're a Brooklyn Dodger fan, dad. He said, you know, People always read things about the Brooklyn Dodgers. It's the same with Beaver Stadium, but I didn't believe him until I got together with Lee and thought we could put this together in a different way.
0: Well, I'm about 10 days away from going to the Barclays Center, which is where the Brooklyn Nets play. I'm going to do two games there. What's interesting about that spot is that was the spot that they chose for the new Ebbets Field, and the Brooklyn uh, Council said no. Mm -hmm. So... I always thought that to be interesting. Now they've got this place. Lee, what about your part? Now the history part. This goes back to you with archives for years over at the library. Mm-hmm. So then you brought that part in.
1: Yeah, I uh, when Harry talked to me about the possibility of doing something uh, with the history of stadium and the, of the stadium and how we might expand that. Uh, I immediately thought of all the wonderful books there are about the history of Penn State football going back to Ridge Riley and Mm -hmm. uh, Rappaport and Lou Prado and all all the many other sports writers that have written about that. And I said, well, gosh, they don't need another one of those from somebody who really doesn't know a a lot about Penn State football other than having watched it since 1965. Uh, But I thought, well, if we could fit the history of the STEM as a venue – uh, and the and the sport that was played there, and actually multiple sports, mm-hmm. um, into the history of the university, how it fits, and then how the uh, the game has evolved, how the the game at Beaver at Beaver Field and Beaver Stadium has evolved, and how the fans' experience has evolved. That that could make could make an interesting book. Well, Joe Paterno told
0: Rip Engle when they moved Beaver Field over to the east end of campus. That that would be the ruination of Penn State football, as we know it. Yeah. Uh, what turned it into – obviously, the winning football was a big part of it. But what turned the venue into an event area
1: as uh, more than just being a football stadium? I think that, uh, that the location – when you quoted Joe as saying this would be the biggest mistake – that they ever made for Penn State football. He was talking about the fact that it was being moved out into a pasture. Right. Uh, East Halls, for all intents and purposes, didn't even exist at that point. Right. Uh, the Shields building, you know, the kind of central location of all those in, uh, administrative functions didn't exist at that point. Uh, there was pasture and there were some barns and corn cribs and so forth. Uh, but they had the wisdom to see that uh, as – Uh, The attendance was increasing uh, as the uh, number of students and number of alumni were increasing that more and more people wanted to come see Penn State football. They were improving the road system so people could get here. uh, And they were experiencing something that they didn't have at New Beaver Field where most people walked to the game. Uh, Now more people were going to drive to the game. They didn't have parking uh, back in the, in the center yeah. of campus for this. So this would be good not only because they would have an unlimited possibility of expansion uh, if Penn State did well and more and more people wanted to come, but also they'd be able to park a lot of cars there. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, opened up uh, a space for a lot of additional purposes besides uh, football and track. In fact,
0: I can tell everybody, I think Beaver Stadium of the Big Ten easily has the best parking situation even now with 110,000 seats. The uh, jacking up of the seats, taking out the track, jacking up of the seats, putting the concrete in at the bottom. Harry, structurally, how innovative was that plan to do that back in, what, 76-77?
2: Very innovative. In fact, it, it had never been done before. Nothing like that's ever been done since. And uh, that was by far the most challenging um, expansion because they couldn't begin it until the end of the 77th season. They had to have it finished by the beginning of the 78th season. And it's a mammoth undertaking. And uh, I went to Harrisburg and interviewed um, the gentleman who was the foreman of the job at the time. And he said it was the most challenging job he ever had. They had a strike on campus, which kept his workers out. They had bad weather. And he said they were putting the hardware in the locker room doors the night before the first game. Mm-hmm. But he said it was by far the most challenging problem he ever had.
0: Who came up with that idea? I mean, you're sitting there, the tracks there. Now today, what they do today is like take Ohio State, Michigan State. They've lived lowered the field. They've mm-hmm. taken the track out, they've lowered the field, and that's how they've done that. They didn't do this here. Who came up with the idea of like, let's uh, jack it up a section at a time and then build it?
2: Well, I'm, I'm not sure who came up with the idea. I know that the Baker was uh, Michael Baker Farm yeah. was the one then. They, they actually thought about lowering the field as one of the possibilities, but were concerned about drainage problems and things of that nature. But, uh, but Clarence Knudsen, who was a person with uh, Michael Baker at the time, said it was the only time it had ever been done, and I think the, who actually gets credit for originating the idea, I don't know. But it was certainly novel it's remarkable. It's remarkable. It really is. I mean,
0: I mean, that that was done 40 years ago. Yes. I mean, my goodness, 40 years, and it's, it stood the test of time. What did you find out in this, Lee, that you
1: didn't know before? I would say the um, – I knew about the moves uh, from old Beaver Field to new Beaver Field to Beaver Stadium. Uh, one of the things that really struck me when we were first talking about – uh, the move from New Beaver Field to Beaver Stadium, I knew they had taken the grandstands apart and trucked them out there. Uh, but what it, what I sort of never noticed was that they had built, what, 16,000 new seats. Yeah. But they were up in the air, and the old grandstands were fit in below them. And I remember first time seeing a picture of all these stands up in the air and thinking, wait a minute, what what's going on there? And that's when it struck me. That uh, you know, even this was an innovative idea, and if it hadn't been for the type of grandstand uh, that had been used beginning in 1934 when they started to switch over to steel from wood, uh, it would have been impossible. I was just at the Ohio State game and a fair amount of time looking at the at the grandstand and construction, and it's pretty much all concrete. Yep. Um, Penn State had actually talked about that. Uh, beginning in the 1930s of building a permanent stadium about where the bus station is today uh, and uh, uh, eventually abandoned it. They couldn't afford it in the 30s and they didn't have time to think about it in the 40s. By the time the the 50s came along, they'd already expanded New Beaver Field in 1949 to a horseshoe. And at that point, they realized they couldn't expand it anymore. It just wouldn't wouldn't fit. Uh, And uh, so moving... And 59 was really the only option they had. Uh, and they it would have been much more difficult, much more expensive if they hadn't had the kind of steel stands that they did. Right. Uh, I th-
0: When it rained, you can see the 30,000 seats. Yeah. I've yeah. been in there. I, as you know, I've been in there more than most people have yeah. for scrimmages, <laughs> things like that. And if you sit in the press box and it rains, you can see where the 30,000 seats are. Just enough. Mm-hmm. Coloration difference mm-hmm. where you can see where it is. It's interesting. Yes. Very interesting.
2: Some of the images that you catch over the years are interesting when you see they replaced the wood benches with aluminum. Yeah, that took place over about a ten-year period, mm-hmm. and um, some of the images show brown and aluminum colors. You know, at different sections of the stadium.
0: Uh, how challenging was it uh, putting the scoreboards on there? You know, I, no, I'll, let me let me let me step back one second. How challenging was it to fix the north deck once that was built because there were cracks in the concrete? At,
2: at- well, it was very challenging. I mean, that uh, of the 12 um, concrete bents that radiate out, 8 of them had cracks.
0: Right. And this is a cantilever deck, so it's not attached to the That's rest right. of the stadium.
2: That's right. It's not attached in any way. It's it's anchored on this large on these large uh, re- reinforced concrete bents, and the cracks were at the interface between the corbels, which supported the pedestrian rampway and the uh, and the frame itself. And, uh, you know, there were all kinds of arguments about whether the forms were over- taken off too early or inadequately reinforced and so forth. But again, they looked at several possibilities, and the one they came up with was this post-tensioning, right. which basically closed the cracks and prevented additional cracks from developing. And um, timing was a Big problem because they already had ten thousand seats sold for the Cincinnati game. Right, but um, it was a very challenging thing, and I, th- I think the solution is a is a good solution. It's a little bit uh, unattractive and raises a lot of questions, <laughs> but it's very effective.
0: Harry, the stadium's in seven parts. There's a lot of parts of it. <laughs> well,
2: it yeah, it doesn't. Uh, it's not an attractive structure. Yeah. No.
0: Uh,
1: Although people will challenge you when you say that. Oh, yeah. The real fans think it's, oh, it's look, beautiful. It's, it's our wonderful. place. Yeah. This well, is our
0: place. What the heck? You know?
2: Inside, it looks beautiful. Absolutely. When it has 110,000 students. Absolutely. And when, yeah.
0: when one guy's going 69 yards for a touchdown in the second play of the game, it looks awesome. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, Lee track the success of Penn State football with with the size of the stadium? I mean, does one dovetail the other, in your opinion?
1: Uh, Actually, pretty much it does, I think. Uh, I like to go back to the to the beginnings of Penn State football, maybe because maybe because there's nobody alive on, to contradict on me on the lawn, <laughs> <laughs> on the lawn with and, Bucknell on the lawn. But uh, you know, by 1893, they had a they had a football field and a grandstand about 500 seats, maybe something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they did have showers, though. They brought water down from Ag Hill and ah, set up showers in under nice. the grandstand. So you know, all the comforts of, that you would want. Yes. But, uh, uh, you know, by that point, they were – at that point, they were playing teams like Bucknell and Dickinson. Uh, As success increased, they began to play uh, more regional opponents. They eventually began to play uh, Army and Navy uh, and uh, – and 19, then 19, got into 1912.
0: Went out to Ohio State. and
1: Ohio mm-hmm. State quit. Yeah, and uh, they got into uh, playing the Ivy League schools, which was the right. SEC of its day. That's right. uh, they were the national champions repeatedly. They had most of the all American players. So Harvard, Yale, Penn, and Princeton uh, were the you know they were the big opponents. If Penn State could tie Harvard, mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, it was you know reason for a major celebration. Uh, but, uh, uh, as, as the team improved, uh, the stadium, uh, the number of people who wanted to come in, increased, they added more and more wooden grandstands. Now, the big change came in 1930 when President Hetzel decided they were going to de-emphasize right. football.
0: Yeah. The people realize in the thirties,
1: when you look at the records, like, wow, the records yeah, weren't very right good. what happened? There's because nine straight losing seasons. They said they de-emphasized football. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it wasn't just, uh, um, you know, the, the number of seats decreased because they, they took down some of the wooden stands. They began to build steel, but very slowly, uh, you know, 1,500, 2,000, 3,000 seats at a, uh, a year. Uh, but they were playing fewer games. They were playing lesser opponents, and they weren't having very much success. Uh, by 1939, 1940, 41, they were being to turn it around, but then the war came in, messed everything up. And yeah. it wasn't until the veterans started to come back and you had that 47 team that went yeah. to the Cotton Bowl. Right. That was really kind of the turning point. Uh, from that point on, things began to to improve. Right,
2: But I think the expansion of Beaver Stadium can be pretty easily traced with this success. I think it was really right. hand in glove.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I agree. The hand because there's more demand. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. More people want to go and see it. Where have your respective seats been over the years, and how often have you changed, if at
1: all? Well, I, I mean, starting as a student, um, back when Beaver Stadium was a horseshoe, um, we sat pretty close to the the uh, the you know the round part of the horseshoe. Yeah. Um, that was where the freshmen sat and then gradually as you, you know, you went up, you moved up a section each yeah. year. Um, after, you know, when I was a grad student and, uh, and early faculty member, we, you know, we'd, we'd scavenge and get seats wherever we could. Mm-hmm. and uh, Usually they weren't very good. When I really began to buy season tickets. We were very fortunate. We had friends who had tickets that they shared with us and mm-hmm. sitting on the 45 yard line. And mm-hmm. that was really nice. Yeah. Uh, and then recently I've been sitting in the sat in the end, in the north end zone for a while. We were but we were under the deck. So we were dry and brilliant games. And <laughs> but now we're in WH. Uh, uh, so oh, very nice. Yeah. What about you, Her?
2: Well, as a student, my first game here was in 1953 when they had the snowstorm. Oh, okay. I came from New Jersey with uh, as a senior in high school, and that was my first game, the 1953 Fordham game. <laughs> and uh, then as a student, of course, uh, my years were entirely at, at Beaver Field, and uh, I've never had season tickets. Really, I, I go to games uh, on occasion as I can, and today at age, age 81, I spend my game in front of a flat screen. Ah, I'm not, that's very comfortable. Yeah, yeah, it is.
0: At 81, that's not a bad choice. All right. Coming up, Gabe Snyder next half hour. Thanks for joining us today here on News Radio 1070 WKOK brought to you by Sunbury Voters. Sports Talk, where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's welcome back today's show brought to you by good friends at Sunbury Motors, Fourth Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Uh, You can also go online, SunburyMotors.com. That's where you can buy SunburyMotors.com. You can check out online the great inventory of Ford, Lincoln, Hyundai, Kia, and also their great pre-owned inventory. Great deals, interest rates. You can go to sunburymotors.com, and you can buy actually from the comfort of your own home. Pretty good. Not bad at all. All right, yesterday we did talk extensively about Bill Madden's story. There had been no stories that had come out since the April 22nd meeting that took place in the negotiation between Minor League Baseball and Major League Baseball. And, of course, there's been a lot of talk of the cut from 160 to 120. But Bill Madden of the New York Daily News, who's one of the great writers ever,
2: uh,
0: talked about the effect on not just a revised system, but who's going to survive just this year that you may have attrition of minor league teams just because they don't play this year, as a possibility, they may have minor league baseball. But the question is, how far down will it go? Will it be AAA, AA? I don't, or will they just put them in extended spring training? None, none of that's been talked about, right? But then he threw in this tidbit. Uh, Most, but not all, of the short-season teams would disappear. This is an exact quote. Many of the New York Penn League teams, including Brooklyn, Hudson Valley, Lowell, State College, Mahoning Valley, and possibly Staten Island, would be merged into the low-A South Atlantic League as its newly created Northern Division. And then Staten Island, he kind of threw some shade at Staten Island because they've gone from 7,000 a game down to 1,848 a game. He says, if Staten Island gets contracted, it would be because of terrible ownership uh, that has run the franchise into the ground. Again, uh, that, is, that was a tidbit thrown out there in his article this weekend where I sat back and went, whoa, it's the first I've seen of that. And I've talked to a couple of other people, it's the first they've seen of it, too. Uh, now we wait to find out the accuracy of it, although I consider the source of a great writer writing that. Well, let's bring in Gabe Sinecropi, talk about the uh, crosscutters through all of this. Gabe, I hope you and yours up in Lycoming Com- County are safe and sound, my good friend.
3: We are, Steve. Thank you very much.
0: All right, let's start with this uh, so people understand. We, we can't answer questions for people as to what, the future is going to be but i want to start with this there are a lot of reports out there and lists out there as someone who sits and reads reports and sees lists is there inaccuracy in what we're reading
3: well i think there is some yes and in, in uh, you know the, people are still working off the uh, contraction list that was published in, I think, mid-October. There's definitely been changes to that list. Uh, We're not privy to all the changes. Uh, I don't think all of the changes are even set in stone yet. Uh, So there's still a lot of unknowns as far as uh, minor league baseball in in 2021 and and how it all looked. I think that what is known, though, Steve, is that Minor League Baseball is going to look different. It is going to look different in 2021. Exactly how uh, it all plays out, I don't think we know yet. I think we may know fairly soon, uh, sooner than I had originally thought. I thought this may go through even past the end of of the 2020 season uh, until it was decided. But but I think that, um, you know, things will... Uh, be put together, uh, and and a framework will be agreed upon, um, you know, here sometime fairly soon.
0: Because what I found interesting was the April 22nd meeting or negotiation, however that was done by Zoom or whatever they did, it. no news came out of that. Nobody leaked anything. And I found that interesting that (laughs) that there were no (laughs) leaks on anything that happened with that.
3: Yeah, the and, and there's been leaks from, you know, the very beginning. Uh I mean I think that list was a leak. Uh, you know, both sides have, have uh pointed fingers at each other uh about leaking things during these negotiations. Uh it has been contentious at times. Um, but yeah, not not a lot has has come out of, of that meeting per se in, in the general public.
0: So I want to talk about, for the Williamsport situation. Something that has been mentioned during all of this and the public posturing has been about minor league facilities. Uh, now, you and I both know, for example, Auburn and Batavia really struggle in this regard. The right. Cutters and their ownership and the city have put $3 million, right, uh, at least that's a general neighborhood,
2: yeah, even into, more than that.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. BB&T Ballpark at, at Historic Bowman Field. What has that done for the facility, and what has that done to make people think that it is a viable facility going forward?
3: Well, I think number one, uh, and, and I think you would attest to it, Steve, and and you'll even attest to it more this year if you have the opportunity to be there. Uh, yeah. That you know the the renovations that were made over the last three four years uh you know got us over a hump it got us over a hump that that we've been trying to get over for two decades and it it all came about due to the mlb little league classic and with the city's help and and our help and obviously, Major League Baseballs helped. Some things were done to to the ballpark, um, to where we have, uh, if not the best, tied for the best uh, minor league field. You know the actual turf. Uh, yeah. You know in all 160 ballparks, uh, Major League Baseball takes care of that field 12 months a year. Um, they they employ the head groundskeeper, so you know that that we have a field uh that that's as as good as any in the minor leagues, better than many in the major leagues. And even the major yep. league players that come will say that mm-hmm. because they do not allow a whole lot of stuff happening on that field over the course of the 12 months besides the Cutters uh games and of course uh that classic. There are a few other games but not nearly uh what are on other fields and and around the country. So they take good care of it. But it, it you know, it just elevated our, our stadium, and that said, I'll, I'll say that, you know, we still don't have all of the amenities both for fans and for players and, and the personnel that, that many stadiums have. So I still don't put us, facility-wise, in the rank of, you know, a state college or a Brooklyn. Or Staten Island, or et cetera, et cetera. Um, but but we're much better than we were, and I think we are viable. I think we are absolutely still viable.
0: There's no well, no question about that. You're still viable. Um, what has this time been like for you? Because you're getting the question all the time, and I'm you know, and as you know, I'm not going to ask the question because I mean, I think you and I are both smart enough that we've been around this a long time, and we don't talk in the, in in the hypotheticals. What's it been like for you, though, having to answer the question all the time? Uh, are we going to keep playing? Are going to keep playing?
3: It's, it's been... Uh, the, the whole off season. Steve, has been... The way I describe it to people is that, you know, in October the list came out and the crosscutters were on that uh, supposed contraction list. And that was like a punch in the gut. Yep. And, uh, you know, while we were... Still bent over, dealing with that punch in the gut. A pandemic, COVID nineteen comes, and and while we're bent over with that, we get the uppercut. It was a one two punch, and uh, we're 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 bloodied and we're bruised. But you know we're we're working very hard to to be able to fight again, and uh, you know we were certainly hoping and certainly still hope to have a 2020 season. But, you know, there's there's two questions now, right? First, it's this season, which we are uh, 43 days away from. Yeah. And uh, then the second question is, what happens in 2021? Because, you know, the Crosscutters were supposedly on that list. You know, we, we hope at the end of the day, obviously we have a relationship with Major League Baseball with that MLB Little League Classic. And, which is and scheduled again. As, they, they've rescheduled
0: a, it for next year, so they did do that.
3: Yes, yes. So we see that as a, a possible hope and a bridge to uh, stay afloat in, in, with affiliated baseball. Um, you know, there is the other option of uh, what Major League Baseball is calling the Dream League, uh, which is in in sense an in, in independent uh, league. Uh, yeah. That, that cities will have the option of being part of. Uh, it will still be loosely affiliated with Major League Baseball. And, you know, we're looking at all the options because we don't know, nor does, does anybody else know, if they are, at the end of the day, going to be on this list because the list has been ever-changing. Uh, there's lots of different things going on with it. And, you know, in Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania we're faced with uh, the Cutters, State College and Erie, all being yeah. on that initial list, and uh, I hope that all three of us survive at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, we all do. What is the relationship been like with the Phillies? I mean, in the end, if it sounds like I mean that that you know that major league teams might be able to make the call on who some people happen to be, what's that relationship been like with the Phillies?
3: Our relationship with the Phillies is awesome that said you know the it, what is coming out of all of these negotiations is that instead of you know six teams they want teams to have four minor league affiliates right right and unfortunately in in some regards we're the red-headed stepchild uh of, of their affiliates because they don't own us outright, nor do they own a piece of us. Where right. there's uh, the all the other affiliates, they have a piece of, or they own outright.
0: Yeah, they so, own everything outright. Yeah,
3: yeah. So obviously, you know, we're the odd man out with the Phillies, and um, I, I know that that pains them too. Uh, I've talked to them, and, and that pains them. Um, but but I think that if we survive and move forward, and, and I'm confident that we will, by the way, um, it will probably be with another affiliation in 2021. And uh, it's not fun to think about. We have a lot of great friends in the Phillies organization. It's been just awesome being with them. They treat everybody like family, and uh, it it was uh, and still is a, a great experience. But, you know, we're we're looking at the possibility that that may not be able to continue due to minor leagues reorganization next year.
0: So Gabe, this is from a philosophical point of view. Uh, obviously, baseball is doing a lot now with through analytics and so forth, where they want to have a lot of players between the ages of mm, twenty four and thirty, and they're not really in the mood for the most part, unless you're Mookie Betts or Mike Trout. To Give second contracts right to an existing player in the organization. To me, that makes the minor leagues and development more important than ever. I mean, is, do you think that's fair?
3: It is. It's a very fair statement. Um, I think also though that they're they're looking at you know economics. Sure. Uh, they're looking at um, you know they they are now going to pay minor league players more uh, starting right. this year, uh, and they should. Uh, they're grossly, you know, underpaid. But, but they were looking at, uh, you know, class action lawsuits and all these things by, by players, um, and and now they're they're bringing that pay up, and uh, they they see the opportunity maybe to to just have less of them employed. And uh, that's, that's what they're looking at. They're, I think there's some things with what Major League Baseball wants to do uh, for the minor leagues. I, there's some of it that makes sense. There really is. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the geographic stuff, uh, you know, it's, it's this whole big 160 teams in, in the minor leagues and where they are you know, it's it just happened over the years, over the decades, right? That that you build build on it, you build on it. People move, this happens, that happens, and then all of a sudden, you look at it and you say, "Wow, this this geographically is getting kind of weird," and and it is. Uh, so there's there's room for for geography things. You know, I I hate hate to see for a, a million different reasons teams going away. Um, whether it's us or not, uh, you know, I think that's that's grassroots baseball. That gets kids, uh, turns kids into players. Right. And then baseball fans, Major League Baseball fans as they grow up. Um, you know, some of that's going to be missing out of maybe 40 cities, and that's a shame. Um, but things are going to be different in 2021. That we can, yeah. we can bet on.
0: Which was going to be my last point, because to me, marketing-wise, I understand the economic part. You know, and we, we just did an entire segment on economics with Tony Knopp. Uh, but part of what you do is marketing. And I think it's really hard to look at 40 cities where you and I know it. You know, the family that lives in Muncie, and it's mom, dad, Two, three children decide to go over to Bowman for a game. And they walk in and they see that beautiful field put in by Major League Baseball. And at some point they say, Jeez, boy, I'd like to go to a Phillies game. All right? You're now looking at forty two places across the country. You know, it could be fifteen to thirty, who knows, whatever the number happens right. to be. And, right. and you're saying and you're saying to them, no and i think that's that's one of those penny wise pound foolish moves because to me i think that's pivotal to your marketing especially on the major league level when you're getting 30% of your revenue from your
3: gate it is it is and th- those are all good points uh, those are all good points and that's why i say you know that that removing uh, a professional team from from these cities however many it ends up being um right has to affect it's not going to affect attendance next year or the year after or you know you're not going to see this until right. a decade later yep where these young kids are not going to uh, a professional baseball game and wanting to to emulate those players on the field by playing t ball and playing little league baseball and then uh, you know, we all age out at a certain point uh of, of playing and, and we're and we're fans. And we're fans. Yeah. And yeah. uh you know, uh the, I that's gonna be missing and it's gonna take time for that to really take effect and and uh yeah, it's it's gonna be a shame. It definitely is.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's only a prediction on my part. I have no inside information, but I don't think it's going to be 42, but I think there will be a reduction of some sort. That's just my opinion. Yeah,
3: so. definitely will be a reduction, and you're right. It may not be quite uh, 42, um, and, and it's not going to be, you know, the, the all the teams that were on that initial list. But I can tell you for a fact that there's no definitive list as we sit here right now um right. It's still it's still you know uh you know like like a a ball of clay being molded so uh we'll we'll see where it's where it exactly lands you know we get we get a lot of intel from from uh from the negotiating committee uh on down and and uh things change every day it's been a roller coaster for us over the last few months uh, yeah. without going into details. It would be really neat, I think, someday, uh, years down the road. Somebody may write a book about this uh, whole thing that's that's gone on over the last six months, and I think it would make a pretty darn interesting read.
0: Thanks so much for your time. No matter what happens, I, I want Williamsport desperately to stay right, th- right there and doing what they're doing because uh, you know I think the world is going there. And uh, obviously, yeah, you know, of course, you know how strongly I feel about state colleges situation too. But I feel as strongly about Williamsport too. Gabe, thanks so much.
3: Steve, you got it. Say a prayer, everybody, and that uh, both the Cutter State College, and even Erie are, are still yep. uh, all an affiliated ball come twenty twenty one.
0: Absolutely, Gabe. Thank thanks, you, my buddy. friend. I want all three to survive, all of them. That is one of the class acts in any business. Gabe Sinacropia. Nothing but the highest respect for him. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors. We'll come back with Dick Girardi next half hour on News Radio 1070 WKOK.